0: Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Yeah, good morning, Malcolm. How are you? Baruch Hashem. For those people on the right who are, you know, insulted or, or panicking that there's a reaction like this that President Trump's getting in England, this is really normal, right? American presidents travel somewhere no matter what they're... Democrat or Republican, they are greeted uh, very often with these types of crowds and these types of reactions.
1: Well, not often. Uh, we we know that uh, past times there have been presidents who visited uh, in Europe and were vetted and hailed as heroes. Uh, President Trump, I think, is a particular target. He's a very, very blunt speaking, as we all know, and uh, his message, the strong message that he has communicated on a lot of issues Is a rallying point there as it is here. I mean, there are presidents who are seen as uh, more partisan, and the general climate and and in Europe as well, where we've seen the divisions uh, between left and right becoming more and more exaggerated, with the center being lost, and certainly the Labour Party in Israel in, in in England has become a bastion for. BDS and, and uh, hostile people, Corbyn, the leader, who uh, stepped down uh, but was nonetheless very outspoken in his criticisms of Israel, as ha- are others. You see that in Ireland, the, they're adopting legislation that enshrines BDS, uh, and in fact this it applies specifically to any product produced in the West Bank and any of the uh, settlement areas, and the the implications of it can be... Very strong because the companies would then be subject those who do business in the United States to the anti-boycott laws here so companies are gonna have to make a decision whether they want to do business in the United States or adhere to the uh, to the passage if this thing passes it did pass 25 to 20 in the Senate in Ireland Uh, but in England too we see very strong uh, views and of course support for Israel is not like it is in the United States support for uh, Um, other issues as well so uh, I think President Trump is a particularly strong lightning rod wherever he goes uh, both for people who are very vehemently supportive and those who are vehemently opposed
0: does Israel have a lot of skin in the game when it comes to the future of NATO I mean when he makes certain demands about the commitment that countries in NATO have toward defense, and uh, when he threatens to, you know, e- either strengthen it or or abolish it, uh, uh, th- does Israel look by just as an innocent bystander, or is there, you know, is there a, a a Jewish or Israeli approach to the issue?
1: No, it's, it is very important because Israel is an observer at NATO. Uh, there are people who have argued that as part of any peace agreement, maybe they would become ma- members of NATO, but. Um, there is a stake. Israel wants to see the Europeans being uh, devoting more to their resources, more to fighting the terrorists more to to being able to deal with the foreign fighters who are coming home more that is not just in terms of external threats uh, standing up to russia, standing up to to other uh, elements uh, Turkey. Um, Iran, for sure, but you see that the policy is generally one still of appeasement that we see too much in England and other countries, where the and and this is not true. I think of Mrs. May so much as it is of, of opposition, but true in other countries where we see them still wanting to make the JCPOA, still fighting American sanctions. Though so we see that European con- companies are opting out in remarkable numbers. And the and the major companies in in Europe are and the shipping companies and insurance companies are not backing any deals anymore, which makes it virtually impossible for many of the companies to do business with Iran. And yet, you see the uh, efforts and the constant meetings and things to to try and appease Iran, which makes more and more demands on them every time they they meet, uh, as they have even during the last couple of days. So, I think strengthening NATO, a, a NATO that is really effective where the countries are committed, you know, Turkey uh, eviscerated their military to a large degree. A lot of the pilots were fired. If you remember, they were arrested when Erdogan uh, arrested a hundred thousand people, included many of the military and other leaders. And here they're saying this is what that, that they are no longer able to make the kind of contributions they made before. And the impact, of course, will be significant uh, if NATO is diminished.
0: By the way, you mentioned the cash or money to um, Iran. Uh, I'm, I'm confused about the story. You had this in the Daily Alert about the, the money that went from Germany to Iran. Is that is that a loan, a payment? Is that a uh, just money they need to do business with that, that Germany is facilitating for them? What is that?
1: Yeah, it's money that they've asked from the German bank, but they're asking for it in cash, 300 million in cash. Now, we know that cash is the fuel of terrorism. Right. And the idea, one thing about giving money and still continuing to do business as usual with Iran, and this is meant to to guarantee some of the businesses uh, needed the money for that, But the uh, and it's through an Iranian-German bank uh, that they channel the money through. But to me, the significant part is a business as usual, and B that they would again not learn the lesson that you don't give it in cash. What, do it in it, if it's an official thing. Do it in a bank transfer to government to government to another bank. You can at least tra- tra- trace where the money is going. But cash, we know, ends up going to Hamas, going to Hezbollah, becoming uh, you know further incentive to the terrorists
0: that right. they support. Even that concession, a country like Germany won't make. At least acknowledge it that that at least acknowledge that that it's a it's, a, it's a, that there are better ways to get money to them than in fact to send over cash. Uh, on the Ireland thing, are you then possibly recommending? Because I'm I'm sure you know that Ireland has become a very very big tourist location, much bigger than it was you know uh, prior to two years ago. Let's put it that way. And in our community. A lot of people are putting Ireland on their list of places to visit if they haven't gone already. Are you recommending maybe we should think twice before doing that and pumping money into their economy? I think that people
1: should consider uh, at least sending a message about it and if necessary the time may come where we will urge people to give expression to their concern. Uh, They can choose many locations uh, about where they go to vacation. And if they pass this legislation and officially adopt it, I think many people will reconsider investments there, tourism there. uh, And it's a way to send a message because this starts spreading once governments start adopting it. And we have now city councils all over Spain in, in about half a dozen countries that have adopted on a local level uh, BDS type legislation or or um, supportive legislation of the, of the BDS movement, and while the economic impact may be limited, the trade between Ireland and Israel is not that great. The uh, it, it is a cumulative effect of all of this, and it becomes a commonplace and accepted that you can do it. I mean, cities like Barcelona have done it; others. And I think we have to monitor it and and uh, take the appropriate action. Right now, we we urge people right to the if you do business or you have vacation plans in Ireland, let the ambassador know, uh, the ambassador of Ireland in Washington, and uh, make sure that they get a message. It takes you two minutes to do it, but it's very
0: important. You know what's funny? What's funny is that there are some people. Uh, who who no, don't always represent official government. I'm sure you go through this all the time, who go out of their way to to tell us how close and how much uh their country and their officials and how they themselves admire Israel. I met someone yesterday from Ghana, you know, sees my Yamaka, first thing, oh, Ghana's so friendly to Israel and we get along so well. We you know anything to I which I don't even know if it's true or not. You could tell me. But but you know this is the, and but and, and and of course you come across this all the time. You know we've discussed this on the air. All the countries that are going out of their way to talk about their relationship with Israel and hop on the bandwagon that I always talk about, and then you have the opposite. We're in Cape Town. they you know they'd rather people have no no access to water than take Israeli advice on how to handle things. Uh, BDS you know could only one would think would only hurt people you know in Ireland because of the reaction that they'll get from the free world, and it, it's just amazing the 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 gap. Between the two, you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. First of all, in Ghana's case, there are good relations. As you know, the Prime Minister visited Africa several times this year, and um, that doesn't necessarily reflect in how they voted the UN, which is often an automatic vote with the non aligned movement or others. And But we are seeing some shift there, and thanks to Nikki Haley and um, the strong stance that she's taken, I think that has is impact as, uh, as well. But the. Um, You know there is a dissonance between what often individuals will say and even officials representing countries. And they go to Israel and they come back very enthusiastic and they want to change it. Uh, Many times their votes are just as I said uh, cast automatically. They find follow the Europeans, Uh, the EU in in some cases, in other cases, as I said, the Non-Aligned Movement, which is headed by Iran today. So you know what what direction they're all taking uh but but this in terms of Ireland it's uh you know there is there's a long history there as well uh in terms of what their positions vis-a-vis Israel's creation and since then but uh, this ha- ha- is much more complicated i know the lawfare project has been pursuing legal remedies and uh, looking at the this is a violation of the uh, anti uh, boycott law the US in last year i think accounted for about 2 thirds of all the direct investment in Iran in um, Ireland, and some i don 't know seven hundred eight hundred companies uh, which employ one hundred and fifty thousand plus people um, are are going to be affected um, uh, by this, and some of those companies American companies also have big r and d operations in israel, so it it could be very complicated when they when you start trading into these areas
0: unbelievable um and by the way, we should always point out one of the, one. Of, I, don't, I don't know, if we, should we say the first family of Israel from Dublin, Ireland? Would that be accurate? I know a lot of people like to say that Netanyahu is the first family of Israel, but the Herzog family of Israel, their roots are in Ireland, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And the grandfather was the chief rabbi right. uh, of Ireland, Rabbi Herzog, and um, absolutely.
0: Yeah, interesting. You talk about the history. and. Uh, Both good and bad. Uh, The fires are out of control. I think what's frustrating a lot of people in Israel, I'm getting a lot of um, direct messages about this from regular citizens in Israel, is that nobody seems to care. Apparently, according to what Mayor Weingarten told us earlier in the week, the fires now have consumed an area of land in Israel that's as large as Petach Tikva. And the media is essentially ignoring it, it seems.
1: It it is absolutely true. And I think this is a a very important issue that people... Don't take seriously the toys for terror when they see kites and balloons and other things. Uh, today, there's a huge fire in Israel—a huge fire—and um, the the more than seven thousand acres had been destroyed before today's uh, assaults. And we're seeing it, unfortunately, over and over again uh, throughout Israel, that the that throughout the region, that these fires have consumed a number of nature reserves. They've consumed about uh, fifteen, sixteen hundred acres of farming land before today. Wow! And you know that's people's livelihoods, people's homes, people's businesses um, have been destroyed. The the um, uh, environmental impact is immense, and it'll take you know it takes a long time when a, a field is burnt or a forest is burnt for it to replenish itself and rebuild. Yeah, and at the same time, the burning of the tires, all of this has a tremendous Impact on the on the environment, and yet I haven't heard one environmentalist (laughs) speak up, and and we have written some of them speak up about this issue, which shows the hypocrisy and uh, the ludicrousness of 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 the positions that some take critical of Israel for quote environmental things when Israel is one of the world's leaders in environmental progress, inventions, innovations. And now the, these guys are looking to launch longer range, constantly longer range missiles. So part of one of the reasons why you don't have fires in some of the areas is because it's already been burnt. There's nothing left to burn there, and uh, I, I, I think that it's it's quite this, you know horrible that people and the media almost completely ignore. All of these issues and what what impact and and the and when Israel is ultimately going to respond in a tougher and tougher ways, you know they'll of course come under criticism and nobody cares yeah. about, uh, you know about what happens in in the, in the Israeli part. I want to tell you something about Gaza that I just I noticed that eighteen thousand people took advantage of the opening of the border crossing with Egypt to leave permanently. Wow! Amongst them are the bankers. Lawyers, about a hundred to one hundred and fifty doctors have left, which is only going to compound the economic conditions in the country, but they've had enough and they are, are leaving. So it's it's um I, I think even of the Hamas leader staff of the ten, seven have left.
0: That says it all, huh? <laughs> to me basically. That's it. What's missing in this whole picture with the fires? Is it, is it because there's no Israeli celebrity who's who's taking up the cause, or or the media seriously doesn't think it's a big story, or it doesn't get ratings? Like, well, what's what's missing here to make it, you know, a story like you know hundreds of others that I could tell you from Israeli history, you know, have become real real causes out there.
1: It, first of all, uh, no Palestinians are being killed, so they don't, they're not interested in it, mm. and, um, and you know they try to make light of it. And you know they say, okay, people, we covered the story once or twice; it's already done. And um, so they, I I think they should all go to see the Air kibbutz, which just um, which is experiencing this big fire um, when one of the balloons uh, from Gaza uh, landed there, and there are many firefighters. and the kibbutz itself wasn't destroyed, but a and a lot of uh, damage was done, and they had to call in airplanes, which come to the scene quickly, and and still working on the fire.
0: And as one of our listeners just points out on our app, and what about the Israeli government? I mean, what about their responsibility? Forget the the media, you know, presence for a moment. What about the the responsibility they have to deal with this? Are are they in fact, you know, a, a, a proactive in trying to deal with this?
1: They are very proactive in dealing with it, and they are looking for. Uh, new methods is you know both to counter this but it's almost impossible you know to to uh, find the sources they went after the people who headed the unit they eliminated some of them they try to target the places where the stuff is stored or where it's moved but balloons can be given out to people yeah. and uh, the the liquid uh, fuel it's just and it put in there, and then that's it, and then this the story is over. look,
0: we always talk about the uh the creativity of the enemy, and they're just you know they're they're a step ahead right now, I mean they're just uh well they
1: latched on to something exactly that um uh, the the um, ability to respond on part of Israel, and I know people are saying, why don't they just eliminate it? it's not so easy yeah. can you send snipers? To go after people looking for boons, they do do aerial surveillance, and where they can take with a drone or other things in an operation, uh, they have bombed one or two of the, a couple of the sites. But it's not, it's it's far more complicated, and and the you know the escalation can be more more costly. So they are looking at ways to to address it constantly finding look look at how they've done with the tunnels they came up with the technology that's why they're resorting to this because as israel finds technology whether it's um the the drones or whether it's satellite photographs and going after the the launch sites but it it is not like a missile where you have a particular you have a launcher you can target and eliminate
0: it very, very difficult situation. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored digital radio around the world and the and on the web at NachumSiegel.com on the Siegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Nine days format officially begins early next week on this Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. We're speaking with Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. By the way, I asked you last week, about the trial of Sara Netanyahu, which to me looked like it was really, you know, getting off to a quick start. They've already postponed it. <laughs> I guess she's the beneficiary of Ahare HaChagim, huh? <laughs> because, <laughs> because it starts on October the 7th now. I didn't realize there's a two-month break in the Israeli court system. Two months! There's oh. a two-month
1: break in the whole government. <laughs> in the whole country, uh, huh? <laughs> in, which is good or bad, we don't know. But the... Um, um, the, the the uh you know the Knesset goes out of session i think wednesday for tishabov and then for till after the after sukota i don't think they reconvene again uh for the a couple of months wow. so this is their uh, their vacation and many people are relieved when Knesset goes out of session <laughs> <laughs> there are and that's one of the reasons why they're trying to rush through some of the legislation, the nation state bills, some other bills that they're doing because otherwise they start again after the after the Hagim. Yes. And you saw that Netanyahu has been talking about possible having um, nego having uh elections at the beginning of the year. I think um, you know it's possible for them to reconvene. I uh, I think if uh a peace plan is put forward or if something else happens there will be uh, the Knesset will will reconvene, uh, but right now I'm not sure that uh, we have any kind of a timetable. I think the, the Palestinian resistance to even discussions and negotiations is uh, is an obstacle to anything that uh, could be put forward wait, wait by a second. the
0: U.S. Wait a second, I'm confused. What's the relationship between uh, between negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians and an, and an, an early 2019 election?
1: Well, I think, for one thing, if Netanyahu wants to go to have the authority to negotiate, depends upon what is put forward. Um, they will often go to elections in order to get the mandate um, to, to, to enter the negotiations, to have a stronger coalition, and not be subject to all of the pressures of, the, of the smaller parties. It doesn't always work. And the scheduling is not just limited. I just cited that as one possible example uh, of what uh, could a lead to reconvening the the Knesset uh, if some emergency session, or if if it's necessary for any kind of development that could come up. Uh, but also, the Knesset will be under additional pressure because once elections are called, very little happens. Although the government is the strongest. At that time, between the time they call election and the election, the they don't have to go to the Knesset. They can take a lot of actions uh, on their own, which they can't normally do.
0: Yeah, but the country's at its weakest, having to watch the entire campaign in front of. Them.
1: Oh yeah, well, it's the new entertainment. I don't know if Fowl that will be on, so it's not, that we'll have, <laughs> have this to. I mean, could you imagine? And you can imagine it's going to be a, a very uh, intense election, although nobody. It's quite clear who the opposition, if there will be opposition leaders, who they will emerge. But what kind of uh, campaign? Netanyahu's numbers are very strong. Well, right that's now.
0: it. That's what. That's what he wants. He's trying to. He's trying to hedge his bet and get another four years based on this popularity. I mean, that's the whole thing.
1: Well, then he could have called the election for even earlier. So I think he, he uh, is doing this as a, for what for him is the maximal best time by his own assessments.
0: You know, what would be interesting here. He could be campaigning in October, November, and December as his wife's on trial.
1: I don't know if that would be interesting. I think it would. Be, <laughs> it, would it would be. Uh, it's look. It's very burdensome. And I told you I was there when they got the notice uh, of his her indictment, and you know it takes a heavy toll. It. it well, it that's what I'm saying. Him. But I mean, you know, and it's a you
0: know it's a serious matter. I, I can imagine the split screen on Israeli television: him at a rally and she in court. But you know. Be a tough visual for the Netanyahu's. I'll tell you, and, that and much. when you look
1: at the array of things that are going on, that the prime minister should not be have to deal with all of these sundry issues. Um, whether you, you, his visit to Putin this week, the negotiations over what's going on in 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 Syria about the acceptance of of Assad. I see even American senators are telling, warning him that Assad and Iran are one, and telling him that the idea that he could saying that he could live with an Assad government because for all the years they kept the border quiet. Whether that still holds true now, given the new uh, alignment and the supposed assurances that he got from Russia that they would uh, restrain Iran in um, in Syria. But he has a very serious problem there. They're encroaching on the border. You have 80,000 militia. You have them infiltrating the the. Um, Syrian uh, troops and and uh, both the militia and Hezbollah and others that you have um, um, an a unstable situation. At best, you have Jordan facing really difficult uh, circumstances. The uh, and there's certainly the situation in Gaza and of course the ever-present danger that the Lebanese border could heat up. Even though I don't see it now, and at the same time dealing with the prospect of uh, negotiations. Although again, I don't think it's imminent. But you know, the bottom line to any successful peace deal has to be direct negotiations between the parties. And you have a party that's not willing to sit down and talk.
0: By the way, yeah. did you see that uh, in Eisenstadt's book that President Carter was against the Sadat visit?
1: Yes, I knew. I knew it at the time. And uh, yes.
0: So I, his. It, so I'm trying it, to understand it. His tina was that his meaning President Carter's analysis was that that if, in fact, the visit would take place, which it did, but what he was worried about, if it would take place, there would be no comprehensive peace agreement, meaning for the entire region, and it would just be an Egypt-Israel agreement, and essentially he was right.
1: Yes, but I think that there was more behind it. I think he was insulted that it, they bypassed him uh, because it was direct between uh, Begin and...
0: Well, if he had if he had resentment towards Sadat, he never showed it, I can tell you that much. <laughs>
1: uh, well, yeah. Yes, he didn't particularly <laughs> care for begging, Right. but but at the time, I remember people in the White House others saying that the, he was upset that he was bypassed and that they went about this directly. Uh, uh, so he, there's always a combination of factors. Yeah. I don't think that the sensitive anybody man could, sensitive could man, overlook President the Carter. importance of the Egyptian-Israeli
0: uh, the, uh, Israeli deal. Right, the interest there. Sensitive man, President Carter. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. By the way, here's the I'll, I'll get back to Syria and everything for a second, but listen to this piece of news. A record number of tourists visited Israel in the first half of 2018. You know what the number was? 2.1 million. Two, correct. 2.1 million tourist entries between January and June the most ever for a half-year period. That's pretty amazing. I know, you know, Israel 70, etc. I know you know what they always say in terms of you know figures being bumped, but that is an amazing figure. That's just incredible. So yes, which,
1: which translates at this tra- base to about four over four million, four point two, which is a record. You know, I remember when crossing the three million threshold was celebrated, and now it's passing four. And if they had more hotel rooms, I think you'd have even more. And if prices for transportation there were were lower, you'd have even more it's a remarkable statement and i think a greater percentage of of jews in america than you know used to be true when they would say i think a quarter or even less 20% had ever visited israel uh, i think the numbers much higher i think birth rate is one of the factors in that but even more people want to go to israel today there there's so much to see there's so much to experience and the uh, the high tech image and many other things that uh, people began to understand that you're not entering a war zone that it's safe to go there.
0: Uh, I hope it will continue. Wow! Amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, and we do again, like we always say, you know, we don't realize the history that we're living through and the most incredible time that we're living through right now. What's with the news of this new flotilla? Is there, in fact, a new one heading toward the uh, Gaza area?
1: There is. And it's been in the works for a long, a long time, but I understand it'll probably take place in two weeks. And uh, an Israeli court, uh, I think the Jerusalem district court, ruled uh, yesterday the day before that they could seize the boats when they come into Israeli territorial water, two of them, which are worth about less than $100,000, but they can use the money to pay the victims of Hamas terror.
0: And that's because they're infiltrating official Israeli space, or what?
1: What's well, and and it's it's uh, a legally accepted uh, blockade against uh, terrorism. It's it's recognized. It's been tested in the courts that the blockade that Israel has imposed uh, on Gaza. Um, and uh, they and in terms of humanitarian goods, they can offload them in Ashdod, and it will be taken to the crossings. So that you know that uh, terrorist material is not going in. And we know from the past that flotillas were were lied about what happened, especially the one where israel right. Israeli troops had to intervene and then the spokeswoman, the very person who made the allegations and charged how the Israelis violated them and it turns out that she admitted that they instigated it that they tried to take the weapons away from one of the soldiers before Israelis did anything uh, violent to them so these these people are not you know just hell hearted people were, were worried about the conditions in in Gaza let them take the money they're spending on the flotilla and send it to the people in Gaza you know, that's what their concern is but it's it's um you know it's a pernicious thing it's a publicity ploy and they know that they they will get the attention so maybe if all the boats are seized and sold they will learn a lesson
0: yeah and i'm sure the un will condemn that act probably
1: oh the un will be ready to act uh, with great alacrity i'm sure you know you don't see any condemnations in the United Nations, and just think about it—about all the attention that's focused on Israel. No sympathy for what Israel's faces facing for the environmental damage, the economic costs, and all the, the things that come out of this form of terrorism of using balloons and stuff. Just wait till this spreads to other countries and other terrorist groups start launching it, and see how quickly that. Uh, You know, they will come screaming and yelling to the United Nations. But, you know, yesterday a demonstrator was killed in Iran. These are demonstrations about water. Water. Uh, Someone showed me a clip of a a, um, faucet in Iran when they opened it, and you see the water is literally brown Uh. uh, coming out. And people do not have water. Half the country is already impacted uh, by it. And a demonstrator is killed on this. And yet you don't see... The protests, this is a domestic demonstration. People are unarmed and uh, killed by the Iranian police. And these demonstrations are ongoing. You see almost no coverage of it, almost none. And the the, um, activities of Iran, despite the economic crackdown, which punishes the people because they don't, the government punishes them. They don't suffer for it because they keep whatever they need. And the people outside in the smaller places, the unemployment, et cetera, et cetera, is rising. And I think with the new sanctions coming on board, you will see even greater public discontent about it, which is very important. And and there was another thing that you saw no coverage that Palestinian TV did a, a tribute to the guys. You remember in, 2000 when two soldiers inadvertently turned into Ramallah yep. and they were caught blood and lynched brutally in front of the world. And with the, the famous blood on the hand.
0: hands, All right, correct.
1: And they did a thing calling them heroic, talking and honoring and paying tribute to them. Until now, these three murderous, barbaric criminals have received almost $600,000 in payments from the PA <laughs> wow. as part of the pay to kill. And Abbas... Still refuses to take any action on it, and yet, no the criticism about it, and uh, countries are cutting the funding, uh, are finally paying attention to to it. The United States uh, law, the uh, Israel passed a law, deducting it from the tax revenues that they pass on, but still life goes on. They can uh, scream and yell, they can take the money away. The, uh, and Abbas just simply moves ahead, saying, we're going to continue this policy, refusing to talk to the American negotiators and, and uh, just the fundamental discussions that, uh, you know, he demonstrates his uh, his peak and, his, and a lot of it is, is personal. And it's because he doesn't want to negotiate. He doesn't want to make concessions. So he doesn't want to have to sit down at the table. He wants to go as long as he can in his, you know, 13th year, I think, of a four-year term. Yeah. Uh, without having to face negotiations or accountability of any kind, and yet you know the Amer- Americans are out there working, and the the response of the international community is is minimal
0: Why did it seem a week or two ago the Kushner Greenblatt plan was about to be released, and now it seems like it's it 's much further away Well, a
1: lot of that has to do with media speculation or somebody says something or tweets something uh but i think that that in part because they and they were in the region again trying to gain more understanding and and support before putting forward a, a plan uh or a proposal the um but the palestinians stonewalled them again so now i think the focus could be on building up gaza doing things about economic development trying to diffuse the situation in gaza which is something abbas opposes as well because he doesn't want to see hamas uh, benefit from it uh, from an improved uh, situation. There, I just cited the, that statistic, and the point was to to tell you how bad it is and how the elites are are, are leaving, even members of the of the Hamas elite. Uh, that the the um, Abbas is only driven by his personal agenda, and the in, not about the needs of the Palestinian people, not about resolving situations, even negotiations between Hamas and the and the PA. You know, are are not
0: possible now. Yeah, unbelievable. All right. Finally, I uh, you, brought, you brought it up, and I wanted to uh, reiterate the Israel Syrian borders, So there is an official agreement. I don't know if you call it a buffer zone. I don't know if you call it a zone of understanding. I don't know if it's UN enforced. There is what is it? A specific amount of of, of area uh, that is designated as a, as sort of a no man's land between Israel and Syria officially.
1: Well, there are various uh, setups, and, and there is supposed to be an area that Israel's designated, and there is an area of separation separate from that that came from the separation agreement between Syria and Israel. There's also the pressure that Israel's put to have a, uh, additional buffer zone where an area where Iranian troops, their own or their militias and others are not allowed to enter meaning not coming up to the Golan. And we know that there were encroachments on the Golan already area. And I think it should even be true of of Syrian troops, as I said. You know, uh, Lindsey Graham, Senator Graham, a great friend of Israel, came out, mourned the prime minister yesterday about it, about being too cozy with them. And and, uh, Putin, as I said, supposedly agreed to having some sort of... um, um, some sort of restraint imposed on Iran because it's not in his interest to see Iran become uh, uh dominant and yet and and the success of taking back the Ara which was where the revolution began and it's not far from uh, the Israeli border um, so the the um uh, you know, it, it, it's a very fluid situation because you have different players. And the um, if the Iranians decide that they need a diver, uh, diversion or if they want to heat up that border, they certainly want to try and encroach on the area to have the capacity to be able to stage cross-border raids and to escalate uh, the tension in the region without having an all-out war. I don't think that Hezbollah and Lebanon want an all-out war right now. But the, the this is a situation Israel can't stand. It's, you know, the, a drone, uh, a Syrian drone, but made in Iran, came across the Gali Israel, shot it down with a Patriot missile. Um, but that's, these kind of encroachments are meant to test Israel and also to gain intelligence. And the um, uh, for Israel, this is a constant state of alert now wow. because all you need is to have a few guys run across the border, capture somebody, um, penetrate the border, which is what they want. They're not looking for a military victory. They're looking to be able to to boast and to show that Israel is vulnerable.
0: Unbelievable. Finally, um, Uri Ariel and other members of the Knesset took advantage of Prime Minister's uh, new rule that they can go back to Harabayat and they actually ascended Harabayat, much to the chagrin of some people uh, among the enemy. Are you familiar at all, have you heard this at all, that there's now a rule that a Jew can't sit on a chair or bench on harbait outside of one designated area and it's becoming a major issue up there
1: yes because some people were arrested for sitting down oh and uh, and uh, that's why the issue has come to the fore again that they're they're not supposed to pray if you've seen moving your lips you can be arrested or removed from the harbait uh, it's an intolerable situation i mean but you know these were concessions just to keep things quiet not to have um, you know uh, ex- unnecessary explosions on uh on our bias, on the, because the temple Mount because it 's so sensitive and it becomes an immediate incendiary uh, for violence because it 's exploited, and Abbas and others Al is under siege and that that is the rallying call uh, because you see they don 't care and they, and they are continuing by the way to do some explosions and more damage. It was halted by Israel, but they don 't show the respect. For the place and and certainly for its history, it's, uh, and deny the Jewish and Christian connections to this. So the the you know everything that has to do with Harabait or any of the places is is really important only when it's effect it can impact Israel when if they themselves do violence there when they engage in in the kind of actions that they have then the sacredness seems to come second or not at all. Wow. So the, I understand why the government doesn't want to see an explosion on this thing. I don't think any of us want to see it. It's it's led to violence and you know deaths and injuries. But the we should know that the when the, look when we moved the embassy when the, the president visited the hotel, put on a yarmulke and said to him and said this is a Jewish holy place. That was an even bolder move yep. and a declaration. And the Arab world, not one demonstration about it, not one. Yep. If you don't read that message right, you're making a big mistake.
0: Excellent, Malcolm. Thank you so much. We'll reconvene next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. God willing. Take care. There he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays here at JM in the AM.